Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Welcome everyone to Branches. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. It's a beautiful day. Uh, my name's John, and we are in a series talking about the kingdom of God. And if you weren't here last week, uh, there's no podcast. So I figured, why don't I just redo last week? Because uh, you probably don't remember anyway what I said, but uh, what we talked about was the kingdom of God. What is it? The kingdom of heaven, why is it important? Why did Jesus talk about it? And as I've been preparing these messages and I realized that this was the bulk of what Jesus talked about, uh, he talked more about the kingdom than almost anything else, and I'm trying to squeeze it all into like 30 minutes, you know, and Jesus had like three years to talk about this stuff. And so every week I'm like, how am I going to, I want to say that, and I want to say that, and I can't say everything, but... Yeah, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, reign of God, the place where God's will is done, the bigger picture, non-dual vision of the world. You guys got that one easy, right? Uh, something confusing. Uh, but what I really am hoping for these weeks is that you'll actually begin to see your world differently. That you could understand that there is a world hidden right in the midst of this one, and it's all around. Uh, so... Today we're going to be talking about your worth or your value and your hope. Uh, here's the deal. I think that your worth and your value are very much related to your hope. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at where we currently put our hope. I want to look at where the scripture says we should place our hope. And then we'll wrap up by talking about how living in the kingdom of God is what helps us deal with the suffering that we're currently facing. Um, and all of this comes under the heading of the kingdom of God, seeing the world differently, having this non-dual vision of the world, not binary thinking, um, this whole other reality hidden in the midst of this one right here, right now. So I was listening to a sermon the other day, because uh, I do that from time to time, um, as I'm sure many of you do as well, like right now. And uh, the preacher said this. He said, we are not human beings trying to become spiritual. Listen to that. We are not human beings trying to become spiritual. We are already spiritual beings. And we're trying to figure out how to become human. Isn't that weird? We're not human beings trying to figure out how, how can we become more spiritual. We're already spiritual beings trying to figure out how do we become more human. And he was quoting what I think was an old French philosopher, Pierre de Chardin, this quote that he has, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a, a human experience. And uh, I liked how the preacher threw in that word, trying. <laughs> we're trying to have a human experience, because I don't think we're doing a great job at being human. Okay? And I recognize that you might push back on this, I do. Uh, but all you have to do is look around our world right now uh, at what we would call the inhumanity, right? Uh, so many things are inhumane, and you don't need to look far, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, you weren't thinking about Orlando, 
unless you were booking a vacation to Disney World, right? But now Orlando is on your heart and on your mind, right? And amazingly enough, it's already out of the media. Have you noticed that? Like, it's gone. The largest mass shooting in U.S. history is now gone. Like, the Bachelorette has more staying power in the media than that. That is the world we live in. And I'd argue it because we don't like to see suffering. Would you agree? We don't like it. Let's hide it. Let's cover over it. Let's distract ourselves. In fact, just put up more stuff about the Bachelorette. We'll forget all about what happened at Pulse in Orlando. Have you heard about the tens of thousands of people fleeing Syria? Have you heard about this? I want to share something about uh, a friend of mine. I met him this year. His name's Jeremy. He works with an organization called Preemptive Love Coalition. I like it. It's like love beforehand. Love anyways is one of the hashtags he uses on his social media. Love your enemies. And uh, they do emergency heart surgeries for kids in Iraq. And right now they're offering food and aid and anything they can to help these, uh, these refugees. And so he posted a photo the other day. This is a, a young boy sleeping on a bag of the food that they've given him. And... Uh, and you can't read because the the cool uh, filter that's on our screen right now. Um, <laughs> but he, this is what Jeremy wrote. He says, if he was my son, I'd kill myself trying to save him, feed him, shelter him, and keep him safe. And since he's exactly like my son, I'm doing everything I can to feed him shelter him, and keep him safe. I don't really know him, but I love him anyway. And then my friend Carl, in the quote you can't see, he commented right below it, Carl's who introduced me to Jeremy, he says, yes, he's my son too. And we're far more connected than we realize. You know, what we're doing in this world to try and become more human is what I'm interested in talking about. Because we're already spiritual beings. We're already so connected spiritually. And I would argue it's precisely because we misplace our worth and the worth of others that we put our hope in earthly things. This is why we throw people away. This is why we continually critique and evaluate and question our own worth. If we understood that we're already spiritual beings that come from the Creator, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, He, Christ, existed before anything else. The Christ existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. We are all held together by a greater spirit. For in Him, the the Apostle Paul preaches in Acts, we live and move and exist. There's no argument that we are already spiritual beings The argument could be made that we're very inhumane. We're fooled into thinking that we're not connected to each other. And that what we do to someone else doesn't affect ourself or anyone connected to that person. Do you think what we're doing or not doing in Fallujah is going to have no socio-political ramifications? That these people won't harbor this, won't feel this for generations to come? When things like this happen, when people are robbed of human dignity, their own humanity, 
We hurt ourselves. And it's happening in Orlando. It's happening all over the world. It's happening here in Dana Point. It's happening probably right out here. (laughs) And we forget and we distract ourselves by putting our hope and our value in things that simply cannot bear our true humanity. And so we end up defining ourselves and defining our worth and our value based on money. We look at a guy like Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, and we talk about his net worth, right? Or by our social media prowess. You know, I I was just hearing a story the other day. Um, You know, high schoolers are dealing with this more than I'd say you adults are, but when they get beat up on social media or someone posts something about them or they post something and nobody likes it, this has like actual, like literal, does damage to like their brain and their heart and all these sorts of things. I was interested, what's the most liked picture on Instagram? Here it is with a cool filter again. This is Kim Kardashian and Kanye West at their wedding. Uh, This is what our culture deems the most likable thing. Two and a half million likes. So you post that photo, now do you feel worthy? Do you feel like there's value to your life? Two and a half million people liked a picture you posted. But the thing is, is culture tells us that that's what's important. Or maybe it's your home. I just wanted this, if you're... If you put it in that, just for $60 million, you can get this little place in Emerald Bay. Uh, it's on Redfin. Go ahead and just put it on your credit card. Now, the thing is, is we, well, I laugh and we laugh, but would you then feel like you're worth something if you lived in that house? And even sometimes I'd say it's a little more subversive than these obvious ones, right? Uh, what about your kids or your family if I could just raise great kids then I'll atone for my own sins and shortcomings right if I could just raise great kids and then when they misbehave or they act out of line or you realize you can't control them you end up just getting downright mean And I think this is why Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person can't be my disciple. Who defines you and gives you your worth and your value and your identity more than these people? And yet Jesus says, this is the life you have to leave in order to follow me. This is the life that Satan showed Jesus on the precipice. This is my world and I give it all to you if you just bow down to me. And so, Jesus says, no, you have to leave all of that as your worth, your identity, your value, your hope in order to follow me, in order to return to each of those people and love them purely. Because obviously Jesus doesn't want you to hate them. But you do have to leave that as your worth, your identity, your value, your hope. So here's, here's the thing I want you to remember. When you're trying to find your hope or your value in things in this world, uh, that in the kingdom of God, your worth is never in question. In the kingdom of God, your worth is never in question. A friend of mine says, your perceptions almost always are. And we tend to reverse it. We never question how we say things. We consistently question our worth. 
So I want to read a passage that's going to go a little bit more in depth into this, and this is our passage for this morning we're going to kind of keep coming back to. Uh, it's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Uh, I'll read it to you, or you can, if you have great eyesight, uh, good luck. <laughs> this is what the, the disciple, the Apostle Peter, writes. He says, Praise be to God, the Father, God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven. And I want you to think about like heaven. When you think of heaven, don't think of something that's far off after you die. Think of that reality that is now here hidden in the midst of this one. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of, that, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are currently receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, currently, right now, here. I think this is a powerful passage in terms of our discussion with the kingdom. Last week, we talked about the terminology. If you don't like the terminology kingdom of God, chuck it, okay? It's, it's, it's a metaphor for a greater reality, okay? Don't get hung up on the kingdom. I know as Americans, you hate kingdoms. It's okay, all right? We're a democracy. I get it, and it's not America to have a kingdom. We don't like kings. We don't like kingdoms. Okay, fine. Wrap your mind around a greater reality that this is trying to describe for you, okay? Call it a bigger picture. Call it a way of seeing the world. But we went over the parable of the sower, and the sower sowed in all kinds of earth. It covered everything, the desert, the path, the fertile soil, the weedy, the weedy parts of the, the world. And there's a lot going on here, but I want to focus on a couple different parts of this passage because I think it's going to help us shed some light on the idea of hope. In this passage, it says we're born into a living hope. That's an interesting idea. It's not normally how we think about hope. It also says you're born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And I'm, I'm trying to think, what's he talking about here? He's writing to followers of Jesus, fellow believers that are scattered throughout all these different regions you can read about in verse 1, and they're suffering persecution. They're suffering grief in all kinds of trials, and this word suffering here and grief is important to understand. When I think of like the word grief, my mind goes to like Charlie Brown, you know, good grief, you know, where he like tries to kick the ball and Lucy moves it and, uh, or he's, you know, doesn't, he gets picked last for the baseball team. He's like, good grief, you know. And uh, my mom saying, don't give me any grief about this, you know. Uh, but sometimes the words don't do justice to what's happening. Because many scholars believe that Peter wrote this letter about a year before he was martyred. And tradition has it that Peter was crucified in Rome, upside down, on a cross, because he had faith in Christ. 
And this word suffering here is, is lupeo. It's, it's in the Greek. And in the same, it's the same word used in Matthew to describe how Jesus was feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. The suffering. It's more like being crushed in your spirit. Not just like, ouch. It's like, ouch, and I'm just oh, crushed. The sadness of the suffering. So he's, Peter's writing to people that are crushed in their spirit and are suffering for what they believe. And I'd submit to you that not many of us suffer in this way here in America, right? We're not often being martyred for what we believe. Now, at times, people find out that we're followers of Jesus and they call us hypocrites or narrow-minded or uncultured, conservative, but not many of us are being thrown into prison for loving Jesus. And Peter is writing to people that are suffering there's a pastor of a large church in New York City, Tim Keller. He writes, he said this, he said, there's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. There's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. There's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. Some of us have suffered a great deal. And others of us have been spared for the most part. There's a, a man named Viktor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor who did a lot of study on what happened in the concentration camps. Uh, his most famous book is called Man's Search for Meaning. You heard of this? Uh, in this book, he talked about what happened to people in the camps. And he said sometimes people would lose all hope. And it would happen, he said, like quite suddenly, all of a sudden, they're their hope was gone, and they all feared for this moment for their friends in the camps. Usually it began one morning when the, the prisoner just simply refused to get dressed or wash or go out to parade the grounds for inspection. And there was like no way you could get them out of bed. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect on them. They just laid there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anymore. They had, they had no hope. And he goes into an even more dramatic example in the book. He says, he talks about it. His, his own senior block warden, who was a well-known composer, had a dream that the war was going to end March 30th. And he was convinced that his dream was a revelation. And as the day drew nearer and nearer, uh, the, it became clear that from the news reports that the war was not going to end. And it said on March 29th, he began running a high temperature on March 30th, his day, he lost consciousness. And on March 31st, he was dead. His loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all the diseases in the camp. You can read about similar things like this, like broken heart syndrome, for people that, if you work in anything in the cardiac world, when, when a love dies, and people die of a broken heart. It's a, it's a similar thing. He says, a lot of people held on by saying, if I can just survive, then my hope will be restored. And Frankel says, many held on through the hope that if they stayed alive, their health, family, professional achievements, fortune, and position in society would be restored. And I think about what's happening in Fallujah right now with these refugees that are fleeing. Uh, what a lot of them are doing is they wear the key to their house around their neck as a necklace and as a reminder 
that I want to go back to my home <laughs> and back to my life. I mean, a lot of the people that are fleeing, they're like us. They're middle-class citizens that have land and animals and cars, cell phones, and they're fleeing for their lives with whatever they can carry, and they have the key to their, their home. And Frankel says, after liberation, so many found that when the day of their dreams had finally come, it was much different than what they had longed for. Many people went into a deep depression for the rest of their lives after their liberation or even committed suicide. And many of us, he says, had, to, had said to each other that no earthly happiness could compensate us for all we had suffered. But we weren't prepared for the disillusionment, he says. He says there was a fourth group, though, and it was small. Only a few people kept their inner liberty, he talks about, in these camps. Only a few were able to stay kind. Why, he questioned. He was a scientist. He couldn't stop investigating these things. And he came to this conclusion. He writes this. If a prisoner felt that he could no longer endure the realities of camp life, he found a way out in his mental life, an invaluable opportunity to dwell in the spiritual domain, the one that the SS were unable to destroy. Spiritual life strengthened the prisoner, helped him adapt, and thereby improved his chances of survival. And he went on to say, life in a concentration camp tears open the human soul and exposes its depths and foundations. And I was trying to, what is that foundation? And this is what he would say, because one of his jobs at the camp was to help people adjust to the camp. They would come into the camp and say, how am I going to handle this? How can I, how can I keep go live, living? And he would say, life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that even suffering and death cannot destroy. Remember that someone is looking down on you from heaven, is what he would say, a friend, a wife, a spouse, or God. We must not disappoint them, he says. And here's what he's saying. Whatever it is you're living for, whatever your future hope is, it completely dictates how you handle your life in the present. Whatever it is your hope is in will determine how you handle your present circumstances, your day-to-day -day interactions. He gives a great example, to, uh, the, this pastor Tim Keller in New York, he says, uh, give two men the same job, or women, 85 hours a week, no vacations, no benefits, no time off, all right? Pay one $30,000 a year, pay the other $30 million a year. One will say, I can't do this, this is brutal, right? The other will say, this, this is a breeze. <laughs> Why? Is one more disciplined? A harder worker? Well, yeah. One is more disciplined, but why? Because they have a greater hope and a greater future, right? At the end of that year, for the guy that's getting 30000 he's like, man, that was not worth it. <laughs> but at the end of the year, for the guy that got $30 million, was like, yeah, that was worth it. <laughs> I'm good to go now because they have a greater hope, a greater future. It's their future, their hope. And Frankel says we need to place our hope in something that even suffering and death cannot destroy, but we tend to put our hope in our personal and our personal value in our health, in our wealth, our status in society, that whole list, social media. 
And he says, if you make that your ultimate hope, any finite object, your car, your house, your home, even your kids, even your wife, he says, what is suffering but the stripping away of those things? And you will not avoid suffering. You'll give up. Now, because of the country we live in and the situation we live in, you can divert yourself, distract yourself, medicate yourself all day long, maybe even through the whole of your life. But this is my argument for why I think so many people, people who seemingly have it all end up ODing or throwing their life away because ultimately placing in your, your hope in these things fails. And because they have all of what they could ever hope for or want or dream and they face it and realize it's failing, there's nowhere to go. They become hopeless. I wanted to quote the great poet and theologian, actor Jim Carrey, who said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. And he's being honest. To which I reply, bring it on, I'll find out for myself. <laughs> you know? But, but what if you could learn this lesson earlier in life? What if you could learn it before you had everything? What if you could start experiencing that true life in the kingdom now? You need to find a living hope, a hope that does not die. If I make my wife Anna or my little daughter Lucy there my ultimate hope, I'm in trouble. All you have to do is look at pictures of us from like five years ago and you see that we're starting to fade. We're getting older. And Peter in the verse talks about this is an inheritance that will not perish, will not fade. See, unless you get this infinite reference point, you will not be able to handle suffering. If you can't handle suffering, you can't handle life. And some of you say, well, well I'm not going to be in a concentration camp. But what is a concentration camp but the inevitabilities of life being concentrated into one place all at once. If you live long enough, they will all go. Your wealth, your status, your social media account will expire. Everything is going to go. You're going to die. You will expire. The concentration camp just concentrates it into a short period of time. You're stripped of all those things. Your family. See, we're... We're making statements that the kingdom, this way of living, what Jesus was trying to help people see was there was this whole other way of going about life right now. Earth and heaven will be one. In fact, his disciples said, will you teach us to pray? Yeah, pray that this kingdom would be here on earth the way it is in that heavenly realm that you cannot see. My friend Jeremy that I was talking about in Iraq, he's working with these refugees that are fleeing from ISIS over there in Fallujah. And the truth is, we have no idea what's going on over there. <laughs> Unless you've been there, you have no idea what's going on. He says, he writes in a recent post, he says, it's 122 degrees of heat and they're running out of water. There's 86,000 plus 
women, children, elderly, crippled, and we don't have food or water. If this was happening here, we'd just go to Costco and we'd walk, you know, if it was 122, we'd walk in that really cold giant fridge, get some food samples. Costco is heaven on earth for those that are perishing here. Whatever you're living for, whatever your hope is, that will determine how you handle things now. And Peter's writing to these believers that are scattered about and are suffering. He says, you've been born into a living hope. You were born into it. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in the kingdom, in this heavenly realm for you. Think of it as an identity, a value, a worth that no one could ever harm it or touch it. Because when you're in that realm, there is not that kind of behavior. It exists in a heavenly realm. Your worth is never in question in the kingdom of God. Your hope is secure. The interesting thing about this passage is that he says, in this you greatly rejoice. And that's a present tense verb in the Greek. And then he says, even though now for a little while you suffer. That's also present tense. So it's not that the suffering has ended and now you rejoice. Right? This is happening simultaneously. And for most people, and I dare say most followers of Jesus, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. This is where our binary, dualistic thinking fails us again. Because there are times when that kind of thinking won't work in the kingdom. How can we be crying out in agony at one point and at the same time rejoicing? And Peter says, well, it's because of your hope. And I think Frankel would agree. You know those people who say God never gives you anything that you can handle? He never gives you anything you cannot handle. Sorry, I misspoke there. (laughs) God won't give you anything you can't handle. That's not in the Scripture, first of all. And if you've been saying that to people, please stop. Say that to the boy that's sleeping on the bag of rice in 122 degree heat, probably passed out running out of water. That's more than he can handle. That's more. Just because someone is tortured and still has a life in them doesn't mean it's, it's something they can handle. We're often given more than we can handle. Often. And I've shared this with you before. You know, <laughs> it's... It's, it's part of the journey with Jesus. Suffering is part of the journey. And because our cult- culture is constantly trying to hide suffering, and you do whatever you can to do, like whatever you have to do to avoid suffering, to medicate, to distract yourself, don't let the pain teach you anything. Just medicate, have a drink, go for a run, binge, fl- binge watch a Netflix, you know, These passages I want to read to you again, just because, and we'll close with this. These two passages. One is from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. Let me just read it to you. And this is the Apostle Paul, the one who says, in him we live and move and exist. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, 
about the hardships we suffered. There's that word suffering in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Far beyond our ability to endure. We could not handle it. So that we despaired even of life. Even in our hearts, indeed, we felt we had the sentence of death. But this happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. They set their hope on God who raises the dead. It completely sets the tone for how they go about their lives. And look at Jesus in Matthew 26, 38. Same word here Peter uses for suffering and grief. Jesus says, My soul is crushed, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Paul placed his hope in God. And Jesus says, may your will be done to the Father. His hope was in the Father that all of this would be set right. And now in Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. So my question for you this morning, where is your hope? Is it in finite things, in your health, your wealth, your power, your status in society, social media? Because these things are going to pass away. Or do you have a living hope in Jesus Christ? When you live in the kingdom, on earth, as it is in heaven, your worth is never in question. Let's pray. Well, God, we are, we are confused. We don't understand how suffering needs to be a part of the journey or how it could possibly fit Lord, teach us that in you we have a living hope that transcends even our suffering, that we have a value and a worth that transcends even what our own wife or mother and father might tell us we're worth. Our own children might try to show us or all the things that we've accumulated, all the power that we've been given. Lord, may we see that our worth is completely secure as we are created in Your likeness, spiritual beings held together by You. In You, we live and move and exist. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.